Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Mark chapter 13, the book of Mark chapter 13. We continue our study through the New Testament. So remember where we're at. We're in Jerusalem here. And, and the Lord, he's told the disciples about the things that would happen to him and, you know, that he would rise again, that, that he would die. He would rise again on the third day. He's taught us about the kingdom. He's taught us about God's economy, the way God sees. And remember last week where, you know, last week in chapter 12, you know, we're in temple. And then remember, we, we kind of move across the street and then we look at the treasury and what the Lord speaks about, how he teaches about the poor woman. And so we begin our study here in chapter 13, Mark chapter 13, verse 1. Then as he went out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And, you know, this is something it's like kind of like in a in a marveling kind of way where, you know, one of the disciples like, you know, wow, like the, the, the stones here, the, 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 the what manner of stones and the buildings are here. It's like, for example, say you and me, you and me, if we were to walk the streets of Venice or Prague or some type of place where there's like, you know, beautiful architecture, it's something that would astound us, you know, the architecture, you know, not the modern stuff, you know, the old stuff. The old stuff, buildings that are centuries and centuries old, just like, whoa, look at this architecture. It's just like so intricate. It's just wild. It's like to, to marvel at these things. And that's what's happening here because they're leaving temple. And remember, this isn't the first temple. This is the second temple rebuilt by Herod. The first temple, you know, there's there's an, an aspect of the second temple that is more grandiose than the first temple. And that was built by Solomon, David's son. And so the first temple built by Solomon, the second temple uh, built by Herod, and the third temple, that's pending prophetic too it's pending and as a little side note you know this this third temple that's still pending if you follow our our our, our news articles prophecy updates you know these are things that you'll see in the news today things that are leading up to the rebuilt third temple and initiatives today real real initiatives today strong initiatives today of rebuilding the third temple in Jerusalem. And so, you know, going back to our study here, you know, it, it, it just like you and me, you know, would, would marvel at the architecture of Venice or, you know, Prague or France even. And so one of the disciples here is marveling at the second temple, like, wow, you know, what manner of stones, wow. And in verse two, and Jesus answered and said to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And this is something that came to pass in 70 AD at the destruction of the second temple. The second temple, it was destroyed by the Romans. And, you know, like, say, for example, when you look at tiles today, if you were to look at tile work today, you know, you look at tile work and you see like a, a, a tapestry of tiles, but then you can also see the grout, you know, the in between the tiles. And and so like in the temple construction, what happened is that they had like a, a decorative grout, so to speak, but it was gold. It wasn't grout. It was gold. I mean, it was like, you know, it was decorative. But it was straight up gold, you know, corner pieces, a whole lot of gold, you know, in between the in between the stones, they would have the gold like, whoa, this is like very intricate in design. And, and then at the same time that when the Romans, when they destroyed the temple, part of their spoils of war, they took the gold, you see. 
They took the vessels of temple worship, you know, the menorah and all kinds of different things. And then, you know, because the gold was in the kind of like a, a quasi type of grout, you know, they turned the stones over. They took the stones, you know, starting at the top, you know, they tumble them down, take the gold, take the next stone, tumble that down, take the gold, take the next stone, tumble it down and take the gold. They collected the gold. And so there's architecture today. There's architecture in Rome. It depicts that the spoils of the the second temple, the spoils of war. And it takes, you see like pictures of like, you know, the, the, the Romans returning to Rome with the spoils of war, except it's the vessels for temple worship. You see the menorah, you see. And there's even an inscription that's found near the Col- uh, near the Colosseum in Rome, and it's a, the, the, an inscription that states that the the funding of the construction of the Colosseum was, you know, from the from the Second Temple in Jerusalem, and the the Colosseum where this this is the, the the Roman Colosseum. That's where Christians were killed. Christians were killed for sport. One of many places. There were a whole bunch of different arenas, but the Colosseum that was like the Super Bowl type of venue major major arena and they killed the christians there the early church our early brothers our early sisters they were killed there raped gang raped killed by animals let the let the lions out let the bears out and they can eat the christians our early brothers and sisters that was their sport and entertainment of the romans now as a little side note there are some people christians even they say that the antichrist has already come and they equate the, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, they equate that to the events prophesied in the book of Revelation. And they attribute these events to the, workers, to the works of Antiochus Epiphanes. Or, you know, some people say Antiochus Epiphanes and some people say Antiochus Epiphanes. I say kind of like, you know, most of the time I say Epiphanes, but, you know, sometimes Epiphanes. But Antiochus Epiphanes. And so... What happens when Christians believe in these theories? Remember, we have to account for the it is also written. We have to account. And so what that does is it makes the theory of Antiochus Epiphanes or Antiochus Epiphanes, it makes it biblically impossible. Because remember, Israel, in the the era of Epiphanes or Epiphanes, in that era, Israel was not a nation. Israel was not a nation. And that makes the prophecies about nations coming against Israel impossible. Israel was a Jewish province, if you will, the region of Judea. But it was under the rule of Rome. And this is something that the son of David would restore according to prophecy. And the people 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, they thought Jesus as the son of David, they thought he would restore Israel from Rome. And not just, you know, where Israel wouldn't be like the, the province of Judea, but Israel would be restored as in the former days as a nation. That's what they thought would happen. And, and don't get me wrong, the son of David absolutely will restore Israel. Absolutely. But not according to the flesh. First, got to be clean. Got to be clean. The people have to be pure before the Lord. You see? Because once that happens, once the people are clean, according, not to the old covenant, according to the new covenant, now comes effectuation. And these are... These are prophecies that we see in Isaiah and Ezekiel. Very important to understand the sequence of events that make certain theories impossible. Not just improbable, that make it impossible, such as Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes. 
And so if you're listening and you're like Lutheran, Episcopal, uh, Methodist, you know, and, you know, you got, and, you know, oh, Epiphanes, you know, Epiph- Epiphanes, you know, the, the fulfillment in 70 AD. No, no, no. Because we have to account for the, it is also written. You see, we have to account for the, it is also written. And as a little side note too, if you're Lutheran, Episcopal, you know, modern day Methodist, hey, you're in big trouble because those those doctrines in, in, in modern day Lutheranism and Episcopals, no, those are very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. They do not align with scripture. Very important to understand. And so the son of David, also the son of man, also the son of God, will absolutely restore Israel. But first things first, there's a sequence of events that have to happen according to prophecy, old, according to law, according to prophecy, major prophets, minor prophets, and according to prophecies found in the New Testament. You see? It's exactly like the Old Testament where, you know, we see the second generation of Israel having entry into the promised land. And when we account for the, it is also written, the prophecies about nations coming against Israel, they don't fit with the timeline of Epiphanes or, you know, Antiochus Epiphanes. They don't fit with that timeline. Let alone the mark of the beast as described in scripture, not a theory. And also the Euphrates River. I mean, if if you're a believer, oh yeah, that was fulfilled by uh, Epiphanes. That was already, you know, 70 AD, it was already fulfilled. And, you know, the destruction of the temple, that's how Revelation, you know, uh, pans out. And then we look at the works of, and, you know, the the oppression of Epiphanes. And, okay, I get that. I understand. But hold the phone there, my friend. When has the Euphrates River ever been dry? You see? What was the mark of the beast system as described in scripture? Not, you know, very important as described in scripture. When has the Euphrates River been dry before? You see, and there are more. It is also written. But when we account for just a few, the Epiphanes theory, the Antiochus Epiphanes theory, listen, it fails to align with scripture. So what do we do? We toss it, toss it. But today, in today's generation, in 2023 AD, what do we see? We see Israel as a nation. We see the Euphrates River today in 2023 AD. It's drying. There are spots where you can straight up walk across. It's drying and it's getting more dry each year. There are more and more. It is also written that are beginning to fit. On the timeline of today's generation. You see? So look what look what we see here in verse 3. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Now, if you and me, if we were to just picture this, you know, outside Jerusalem, the old city, there's the Kidron Valley, and it leads up to the Mount of Olives. And having this conversation with Jesus, looking upon Jerusalem, while also remembering what he has been speaking of. And last week, remember the vat from last week? You know, while also remembering the things written in the law and the prophets, what we start to see here where Jesus is, you know, in the Kidron Valley, the Mount of Olives, this is a huge deal, a huge deal because we see fulfillment, the things that are leading up to fulfillment and more fulfillment. And for us today in 2023 AD, there's still more to be fulfilled. But just geographically alone, for Jesus in verse 3 to come and, uh, you know, approach and sit in the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, geographically alone, it's huge. It's huge. 
And so let's look at this intimate conversation here. We see in verse 3, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately. In verse 4, tell us. This is what they asked him. Tell us. When will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And keep in mind, we're in the book of Mark. But in Matthew's account, they ask, you know, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And we see in verse 5, and Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you. Take heed that no one deceives you, our Lord says. Now, you know, sometimes Christians get really mad at me. They get very mad at me. You know, why are you such a stickler with doctrine? You know, hey, we're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to love one another. Don't, don't be so hardcore about doctrine. Listen, it's very true. We are supposed to love one another. But it's the word of God that teaches us how to love. Because the world has its idea of love. The world absolutely has its idea. But remember, the word of God is our authority. And the word of God tells us what love is. And the word of God teaches us how to apply that love and how to love others. And Jesus says here in verse uh, uh, 5, take heed. Take heed that no one deceives you, translates in the Greek as, as, as seduce, deceive, and cause to go astray and wander from truth, virtue, and safety. And Jesus straight up says, be on guard against that. Take heed. Be on guard against that, that no one deceives you. In verse 6, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. Notice, the very thing that Jesus says, take heed and don't let happen, the very thing that he says, it's happening. It happens with a lot of people. Many will be deceived. In verse 6, you know, you know in, in verse 5, you know, don't do this, you know, take heed that no one deceives you. So, you know, do that, you know, take heed and don't let anybody deceive you. In verse 6, for many will come in my name saying, I am he. And then what happens? And, he, and they'll, they'll deceive many. They'll deceive many. So the very thing that Jesus says, take heed and, hey, you know, don't let this happen. Don't, don't be deceived. The very thing that he warns, prophetically, it happens. You see, many will be deceived. And it's by those who come. Many will be seduced. Many will be seduced and caused to go astray and wander from truth, virtue, and safety. And it's by those who come in the name of Jesus. They come in the name of our Lord. You see, the tricksters. Sudadelphos. Remember when Paul would explain his phobia? Like, you know, he, you know, for himself, you know, he wasn't saying, hey, I'm afraid, but he's not afraid for himself. He says, I'm afraid for you guys. Because these tricksters, the pseudodelphos, they're going to come in and you're going to put up with it. They're going to come in with another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. And you know what's going to happen? You guys are going to put up with it. Remember in Galatians when Paul was straight up. Listen, these guys are well respected among Christians. These guys, they come in, they got their degrees or anything. But listen, I don't care. It makes no difference to me. Because Paul knows his stuff. He wants to know, what is this guy? He's new. He comes in. He wants to know. What is it that this guy teaches? And if it doesn't align with scripture, boom, toss him. You see, because that's a wolf. 
Very important to understand. And what was happening in Galatia is that Paul was blown away. He says, I'm blown away, you guys. He says, he writes his letter. He says, I marvel. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from Jesus. You see? The very thing that Jesus is warning about here in Mark 13, we see it in the Bible. We see it in the Bible. The pseudodelphos, uh, the, 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 the wolves that come into Galatia. We see pastors and shepherds who are defunct. We see that in Corinth. But we can look at the Old Testament too, and we can see what happens when the priesthood becomes defunct. We can see the priesthood who has gone astray and become defunct here in the Gospel of Mark. And in verse 6, Jesus says, Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. You see, they're coming in the name of Jesus. You look at all the denominations, all the doctrines, and all the dogmas that we have today, the theories of men, and they all proclaim Jesus, the Catholics, the Coptics, the Orthodox, the Lutheran, the Episcopals, the Calvinists, the Reformed, the Money Preachers, the Methodists, New Apostolic Reformation, Hebrew Roots, and there's more. There are many who come in the name of Jesus, and they're very successful. They're very, very successful in their endeavor upon many, in their endeavor when they come and, you know, to deceive. Very successful. Many follow them. The very thing that Paul was afraid of, his phobia, is that the saints, Christians, the church, is that they would follow the wrong leaders. You see, that's why Brother James, inspired of the Spirit, says, Hey, let not many be teachers. Let not many be teachers. And it's so beautiful because, you know, what we see in like Philipp the Philippians, the, Philipp the Philippian church, we see something so beautiful. Because if we were to take the Corinthian church and the Philippian church, it's like night and day. You would see a whole bunch of babies, the baby believers in Corinth. But then you look at Philippi, it's like, well, this is so beautiful because they don't have the mess that we see in Corinth. They don't have the mess that we see in Galatia. It's like, wow, who are these pastors? Who are these shepherds? I'm so in love with these men. Why? Because they teach sound doctrine. They protect the people of God. And you don't see the mess that you see in Galatia and Corinth. You see? It's not to say that Galatia and Corinth can't be fixed because we see how the Lord, you know, how the Lord uses his vessels to say, okay, in Corinth, remnant, separate from the defunct, separate from the works of the leaven, separate from the leaven. You see, this is something that beautiful Chloe was well aware of. Remember our study in 1 Corinthians? And in Galatia, it was so strong. That seduction was so, so strong that it even got Peter. It even got Peter. Peter got caught up in that as well. And it was Brother Paul who came in and says, hey, and he rebuked Peter publicly. It's so beautiful to see the humility of Peter. Because Peter kind of like, you know, like, well, you know, you're right. Peter got cleaned up. So beautiful to see. And then when you read Peter's letters, Peter's epistles, he says, hey, you know, these other people, they twist the scripture. But Paul, hey, Paul knows his stuff. Listen to Paul. You see? 
And Paul's phobia is that people, the saints, Christians, would follow the wrong leaders. They would put up with it. Everything has to line up. Old Testament, New Testament, you know, the, the, the law, the major prophets, minor prophets, the, uh, the gospels, the, the epistles. Everything has to line up perfectly. And we get the full counsel of the word of God. We understand the counsel of the word of God, which became flesh. And that's Jesus. And our Lord, he continues to say, remember the disciples asked, you know, when you account for Matthew's uh, 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 account, you know, you know, what, what, what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus says here in verse six, many are going to come in my name and they're going to deceive many. But at the same time, we look at verse seven, but when you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled for such things must happen. But the end is not yet understand war war is not a new thing war is not a new thing all we have to do we got to just just look in the history books just look in the history books and we see that war it's an ancient practice of peoples and nations but today it's a little bit different and you know a lot of bit different because now we are in the nuclear age and in the nuclear age this brings clarity to certain prophecies that we see in the Bible, Old and New Testaments, about nuclear fission. The melting of the flesh where there were impossibilities before, but today there are no longer impossibilities with correlating prophecies. You see? And Jesus is the one who says the end is not yet. There are things that must happen. And it's to fulfill prophecy. And don't forget, he also says, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. And it seems kind of like laughable. Like, you know, don't be troubled. Like what? You know, wars and rumors of war in the nuclear age. And don't be troubled. Listen, according to the flesh, it's impossible to not be troubled. But according to the spirit, there is a peace that surpasses understanding. According to the spirit. What happens a lot of times is... Believers get stuck. Believers get stuck in like a, a, a minutia of Christian living. You know, Sunday, go to church. Okay, it's Sunday. We're at church. Okay, let's pray. Let's sing. Let's hear a sermon. Rinse and repeat. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And forgive me for saying it like that. But it's, what's, it's, it's been happening over the years, the decades and centuries. And what's happened, it's caused many to fall asleep because, okay, you know, just, okay, Sunday go to church and, you know, oh, we're hardcore, so Wednesday we have Bible study. Okay, we do this. Okay, so we have a prayer meeting over here. Nobody shows up, but we have a prayer meeting. And it kind of becomes like, you know, just minutia. Sunday, church. Wednesday, church. Sunday, church. Rinse and repeat. And I don't like saying it like that. But what happens when people just go through the motions? It can cause people to fall asleep. But understand the whole time, the whole time, for decades and century and millennia, there's a very specific and certain timeline. A series of events that would unfold at a very specific time unto a very specific generation. And we need not be troubled. That's what Jesus says. Don't be troubled. Now, according to the flesh, hey, everybody's troubled. 
but according to the Spirit. See? Night and day. Night and day. And when Jesus says this, not to be troubled, remember, he's speaking to the disciples that are with him. He's speaking to the disciples who are with the biblical Jesus, whose word is above his name. You see? And this is why we speak very heavily. One of many reasons. This is why we speak very heavily on a specific formula, a very holy recipe. Because when the formula is right and the recipe is right and you and me together, what happens is the effectuation of God's promises. And that's where we see a peace that surpasses understanding. During very dangerous times, very perilous times. Look at verse 8 here. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, in the Greek, it translates as that the ethnos will rise against ethnos. And this translates as ethnic races, heathen Gentiles that will rise up against each other. You know, in a so-called progressive society, the era that, that in which we live today, 2023 AD, in a so-called progressive society, you would think, you would think that race relations would be finally cordial. You would think in, 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 a, in, a, in a civilized society, in a progressive society, you would think that, okay, you know, race relations, you know, it's, it's good now. And, you know, the, 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 the uh, uh, oppression and the animosity and the, the, the rising tides of this, you know, uh, ethnos against ethnos. Oh, that's for the history books. But what do we see today? What do we see today when we look at the clash of civilizations and integration of civilizations and peoples? Some parts of the world are much worse than others. Things can quickly change. The world can change on a dime, fast. And in European countries today, I mean, you just straight up, you look at the rise of the murder rates, the rise of rape cases. And we can see ethnos against ethnos. Just look at the European model. I mean, we can go deeper into the European model and the, you know, the introduction of certain things from a century ago, maybe even further. But at the same time, you know, understand, we also have to be very careful. We have to be very careful with fitting news headlines with, the, you know, Bible prophecies, you know, because sometimes you hear people say, oh, this is it. This is it. This is it. And this is something that, you know, for, for, uh, for my older brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, Hal Lindsey, Hal Lindsey got in trouble with this. You know, yeah, that's what he did in the 80s with the late great planet Earth. You know, oh, this is it. This is it. And hey, it wasn't it. He was pre-tribulation. And a little side note, he's like on his third or fourth marriage now. Previous wives are still alive. See? Very important to understand. Holy formula. Holy formula. It's got to be right. We know what to look for. Sometimes you see pastors and teachers and ministry leaders where they start out, they start out okay. And then all of a sudden you see doctrine. It's like, okay, that's kind of crazy. You see doctrine. Okay. That's uh, doesn't really align with the Bible. And then all of a sudden when the doctrine isn't right, everything just falls out of place. Why? Because the doctrine wasn't right. I mean, people, we look at Hillsong today and people, oh my goodness, I can't believe Hillsong. What's happening with Hillsong? What's happening with Hillsong? But that could have been said 10, 15 years ago. What happened with Hillsong, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? 
You see, the signs were there. And at the same time, you know, so we have to be careful with like sometimes, you know, not to fit news headlines with the Bible and, you know, oh, here we have fulfillment. Here we have fulfillment. Prematurely pointing to an assumed fulfillment. That's what Hal Lindsey did with the late great planet Earth in the 80s. R.C. Sproul got caught in that too because prematurely pointing to an assumed fulfillment with Y2K. And caused many to stumble with their theories. As a little side note too, their doctrine was way wrong. Way wrong. I mean, R.C. Sproul, that's Calvinism. Calvinism is not even in the Bible. It's a theory of man, but it doesn't fit in the Bible. You see? And people formulate these theories. But remember, the Lord tells us what to look for. In terms of, you know, a qualified pastor, a qualified teacher, the Lord tells us what to, what to look for. You see? And in the case of overseers and pastors and, you know, elders, those overseers, remember, the home is open to scrutiny as well. What is the wife like? What are the kids like? What, is the, what does their home look like? Very important to understand. Remember in our study in the pastoral epistles, package one, package two, package three, package four, full package. We read the Gospels of, of Jesus in, in the Gospel of Mark, and then we look like, okay, so we got package one, package two, package three, package four. We're looking for the full package. And on top of the full package, we look at other things that our Lord says, things to look out for. It's like, you know, full package with like, you know, cherry on top. Full package with like, you know, uh, the, the, the whipped cream cherry on top. Like, whoa. And then when you have that, it's like, well, this pastor, he's safe to submit to because he watches out for my soul. Very important to understand. We're in the last days. We're, we're in the last days. Not a time to play games. Not to suggest that any time before it was okay to play games. But definitely today, not a time to play games. And so today we see the, the rise of, as prophesied, ethnos against ethnos. And nations shifting. Global alliances changing and shifting. And the world can change on a dime. But at the same time, we see something else. The nations of Magog, they're forming together an alliance. And in 2023 AD, for such a time as this, we can start to see, wait a second. It's like ethnos against ethnos. It's like, okay, we get that. Okay, you know, racial division, all kinds of different things. Okay. But then when we account for the, it is also written. So it's like, wait, these other things are happening. This is also happening. This is also happening. You see, it's something that, you know, how Lindsay couldn't do in the 80s. R.C. Sproul couldn't do when, with Y2K. And I'm not saying that how Lindsay and, and, and R.C. Sproul are good teachers, even though a lot of people think they're good teachers. The formula is way off. Their doctrine is way off. Very important to understand what the word of God says. It's, you know, it's, it, it, it strikes as interesting, we'll say. The fact that we see prophecy upon prophecy upon prophecy upon prophecy. Multiples, we're starting to see like, whoa, like checking them off a list. Like, okay, this is happening. This is happening. With Antiochus Epiphanes, people say, oh, that's fulfillment. You know, it was already, it was already fulfilled. It was already fulfilled. It's like, okay, you say it was fulfilled? Okay, answer me this. When was the Euphrates River? Show me the history books. When was the Euphrates River dry? 
you see, and they can't. But today, there's parts of the Euphrates you can walk across. And when we see today that the Euphrates River is becoming dry, it's to fulfill another prophecy, to make way for the kings of the east, the kings of the east who will form with Magog and come and attack Israel. You see, to make way for the kings of the east. And what do we see happening today? We also see in this uh, this uh, 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 converging and Magog forming, and you're starting to see, wait a second, it's like, well, all these countries of Magog, they're aligning themselves with these uh, 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 the kings of the east. China, Pakistan, all these kings of the east, it's like, wait a second, oh my goodness. Like, I mean, you look at the map, geographically, you see China, and then you, moved, you move left. You know, uh, you, you move, you move west from China and it's like, well, you see all these countries. It's like, whoa, those are like the nations of Magog. And you see, well, like th these nations are forming together. And at the same time, you see the Euphrates River is drying. And it's like, whoa, are we living in the era of prophetic fulfillment? All these things are happening today for such a time as this 2023 AD. And we see here what our Lord says. He says that, that also he says, and there will be earthquakes in various places. Now, regarding earthquakes, there are people today who say, well, it only seems like there's more earthquakes today because, you know, we, we, we have the news. And, you know, back in the day, you know, 200 years ago, 500 years ago, they didn't have social media. So it just seems like we have more earthquakes today. And I get that. I understand that. But when you look at the recorded history of earthquakes, look at the recorded history of earthquakes, and then you start to see, whoa, there's an increase. And it's not just in number, the amount of earthquakes, but it's also in scale. These are earthquakes that are like on the higher end of the Richter scale. I mean, in Thailand several years ago, you know, the earthquake was so big that, you know, the tsunami, it destroyed everything in its path. And in the Greek here, you know, when it's, and there were earthquakes in various places, translates as earthquakes in diverse places, meaning it's not like a swarm of earthquakes in one part of the world. No, it's happening in diverse places all around the globe. And Jesus says, and there will be famines and troubles. It's a scarcity of food, hunger, straight up famine. You know, even worse than that, the famine of the word of God. Famine of the word of God. There's going to be like famine of food, but also prophetically speaking, it's also uh, uh, it, it, we, when we look at, you know, the, the, the minor prop, major prophets and minor prophets, we also see a famine of the word of God, even in Peter's letter, or Peter and Paul's letters, a famine of the word of God. So we start to see like, well, all these things happening together. It's not just like one thing happening here and one thing happening, you know, 50 years ago, one thing happening 200 years ago. No, it's for such a time as this, we're starting to see like, whoa, these things are happening. The Euphrates River, the nations of Magog, the kings of the east. And we see here that there will be famines and troubles and the troubles here translates as riots and mobs and insurrections. These are things that we see. They're amping up today in various parts of the world for various reasons. I mean, it's happening in France. Look at the news. Again, we have to be very careful. 
We have to be very careful, you know, an approach that says, oh, this is it, this is it, this is it. But at the same time, at the same time, we can't be ignorant of the things that we see happening today. You see? I mean, with just the verses that we've read so far, isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that we're able to see not just one, not just two, but we can see these multiples of the very things that Jesus says to look out for. Very important. It's like, wait, you know, that's, that's interesting. Where, you know, 200 years ago, we couldn't. I mean, 200 years ago, we'd have to accept certain things by faith. Not to say that 200 years ago, it was fake. No, 200 years ago, it was real. But certain things would have to accept by faith because 200 years ago, Israel was a nation. So nation, the prophecies about nations coming against Israel, we would have to accept it by faith. You see, mark of the beast system in, you know, 300 years ago, it was like, well, you know, for the whole world on a global scale, like, okay, that's, we'd have to accept certain things by faith. But today, these things are not just probable. But we already see a coming to pass where you could, Euphrates River, there's parts of the Euphrates, the great river Euphrates, where you could just straight up walk across. You don't even have to swim, just walk across. And it strikes as interesting, we'll say. Remember when we account for, you know, Matthew as well, Matthew's account, it's the disciples who ask, what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And here in Mark 13, Jesus says in verse 8, these are the beginnings of sorrows. Translates in the Greek, the commencement of pain and sorrow. And I don't want to say that we, we, that we can't have joy in the Lord and joy of the Lord because we absolutely can and we absolutely do. But at the same time, when these events unfold, it will also have pain and sorrow. And it might seem odd, it might seem strange to have this range of emotion, pain and sorrow and joy, joy of the Lord, but we see it already in certain tiny bubbles. We see it with Jesus in his tiny bubble. We see it with Paul in his tiny bubble. We see it with James even. We see it in the book of Acts. It's seen with the Old Testament prophets. And it's still seen today among the remnant. Among the remnant, it's still seen today. And when our Lord says, you know, you understand, he's speaking to the disciples. And his range of time is 2,000 years, give or take a couple years, and it's still open-ended. And when we say that, you know, it's a reference point that spans a period of time by which the door of mercy and grace is open. I mean, you take Passover week, Jesus in his earthly ministry, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a colt. And you take his death on the cross. That door of mercy and grace opens. To receive Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior by faith. 
And this door of mercy and grace, it's still open today, but it's not as open as it was 2,000 years ago. It's not as open as it was 500 years ago. It's closing. It's been closing. Closing slowly, but it's been closing. And so you take that range of time, 2,000 years, give or take a couple years, and that door is closing I mean, if, for example, if you've ever worked retail, you ever work retail and you have an opening shift, you know, doors open at 9 a.m. But then the night shift closes, doors close at 9 p.m. Well, the night shift, you know, the night shift doesn't see the morning shoppers and the morning shift doesn't see the night shoppers. But the doors are open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Well, in a similar manner, the, the door of God's grace and God, God's mercy, according to the new covenant, it's been open for 2,000 years, you know, give or take a couple years, but the door isn't open forever. We could say like, you know, the disciples, when they become apostles, that's like the morning shift. But for the last day's generation, that's the closing shift. But the door's been open that whole time frame, 2,000 years, give or take a couple years. And so Jesus, you know, he says here in verse 9, but watch out for yourselves. For they will deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues and you will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake. And these are things that we see in the book of Acts. Things mentioned in the epistles, the morning crews, so to speak, delivered to councils and beaten, brought before rulers and kings. And it's all for the sake of Jesus, for the name of Jesus. And look what Jesus says here, that you will be brought before the rulers and kings for my sake, for testimony to them. Testimony to them. Some translations say as a testimony against them. But I love this so much because the message, it's for everybody. Male, female, boys, girls, old people, it's for everybody. Young, old, and everybody in between. And everybody has to make a choice for themselves, be it poor, be it rich, be it slave, be it ruler. Remember Paul before the leaders? Remember Paul when he was standing, he was in chains, and you know, the leaders spoke to him, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. You see, it's for everybody. Everybody's got to make, make a choice. And Jesus says in verse 9, for a testimony to them. And in verse 10, and the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. And today we're living in a time where the gospel has been preached to all nations. And there still works to be done. But we're moving forward to another prophecy. Another prophecy referred to as the fullness of the Gentiles. And that's what we see in the book of Romans. The fullness, fullness of the Gentiles. You see? And that's when the door of mercy and grace officially closes. The night crew. The fullness of the Gentiles. Okay, boom, it's over. Very important to understand what the Word of God teaches. And in verse 11, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, not might, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak but whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now, let's not forget our study in the book of Sam, 1 Samuel. Because in 1 Samuel, what we're seeing in real time, on that timeline of 1 Samuel, in those chapters that we're in, what we're seeing in real time, we're seeing King Saul 
quench the Spirit. Because remember, he had the Holy Spirit. And we're seeing Saul, an Old Testament example of something that last days, I mean, Christians have always faced, but the last days, Christians, it's, it's, it's going to be on overdrive in the last days as apostasy, as the prophecy of apostasy sets in, and it's already here. But we're seeing King Saul in our Wednesday study, we're seeing King Saul quench the spirit and extinguish the spirit, something the Bible says, hey, don't do that. Do not quench the spirit translates in the Greek as do not extinguish the spirit. And that's what we're seeing King Saul do. Don't forget. Remember our study in the book of Acts? It is entirely possible to have the baptism of Jesus and believe in Jesus while not having the Holy Spirit. We see that in the book of Acts. If you're listening for the first time, you haven't been walking with us for a while, go and listen to those studies. The book of Acts, very important. And so let's just look, let's just analyze this possibility where people believe in Jesus and do not have the Holy Spirit. You see, believers who have been quenching the Spirit, believers who have been extinguishing the Spirit. Now we look at verse 11, and if such people are arrested and the Holy Spirit doesn't speak, you see, when we account for the it is also written, and we account for the it is also written that present biblical possibilities, even biblical probabilities, does that make God a liar? In verse 11, if, if, if people who have quenched the Spirit and extinguished the Spirit or believe in Jesus and have the baptism of Jesus but do not have the Holy Spirit, does that make verse 11, if they are arrested and the Holy Spirit does not speak, does that make God a liar? Does that make the Bible fake? You see, not at all. Not at all. The problem is a person. Wrong formula. And this is something that, and it sounds crazy. This is something that I absolutely love about false doctrines. Because these are things that are going to be exposed in the last days. You know, today you hear people say, oh, you know, prayers don't work. Prayers don't work. Prayers don't work. And, they're, you know, they have a case to make. You know, sometimes you have the, the non-believers and even the Satanists, you know, mocking Christians. Oh, your prayers don't work. Your prayers don't work. Your prayers don't work. And they have a strong case. Does that make the Bible fake? Does that make God a liar? Not at all. The reason is because wrong formula. Wrong formula. Remember the book of James? You pray, you ask, and you don't receive. Why is that? Is it because of God? No. Is it because of the Bible? No. So what's left? It's because of you, Brother James says. It's because of you. Because when you ask, you ask amiss. Wrong formula. He says, you adulterers and adulteresses, exclamation point. Whoa. What pastor do you know would say that? The problem's not the Lord. The problem's not the Bible. The problem's not prayer. The problem is you. What pastor do you know would say that? God's not the problem. You're the problem. What pastor would say that? And then on top of that, what pastor would say, the problem's not God, the problem is you, you adulterers, you adulteresses. What pastor would say that? You see? And yet Brother James says that. 
so beautiful when we see how the Lord teaches us how to love. Because somebody can make the case, oh, Brother James, that's not love. That's not love. We're supposed to love. We're supposed to love. But when the Bible teaches us what love is and how to love, it would be unloving if Brother James was quiet. It would be unloving if Brother James said nothing. Because you have a body of believers who pray and nothing happens. And Brother James is going to be quiet about it? You see? You have a church in Corinth that is leavened. And Brother Paul is going to be quiet about it? Chloe and those in her household, they're going to be quiet about it? Very important to understand what the Word of God teaches. These are things that are going to serve as contributors to another it is also written. And what that is, it's the falling away. Because people, Christians, they're going to believe in Jesus. And they're going to believe in Jesus without the Holy Spirit, which is, we know it's established. It is a biblical possibility to believe in Jesus, to have the baptism of Jesus, to fellowship with believers without the Holy Spirit. And I understand perfectly well that that is contradictory to the teachings of Calvinism and Reformed theology. But those are unbiblical teachings, Calvinism and Reformed theology, entirely unbiblical. You see? Because they present something as what the Bible says is possible. They say it's impossible. So what do we do? Am I going to believe a theory of man or are we going to believe the Bible? You see, it's you and me. We yield to the Bible, loving truth, profound, deep love of the truth of the word of God, even when it hurts. Remember our study through 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? Even when it hurts, a profound love of the truth. And so people are going to be arrested. Oh, you're a Christian. You're going to jail. We're going to arrest you. And they're going to think, okay, well, you know, I'm a Christian and so I'm of the, I'm, I'm, I'm of the elect. I'm of the elect and I'm a Christian and here I am in jail and here I am. I'm going to go to trial. And the Bible says I don't have to worry about what I speak, what I have to say. I don't have to premeditate on what I speak or anything because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is going to speak. Whatever is given in that hour, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is going to speak. And all of a sudden, it's time to, for, for a person to testify. Nothing happens. And some, okay, I'll, I'll serve my 10 years. I'll serve my five years. But you know what? I'm done with Jesus. Because number one, my pastor told me that, you know, if I'm a Christian, then, you know, it's the Holy Spirit who made me a Christian. So, boom, I automatically have the seal of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible also says that, okay, when I'm arrested, the Holy Spirit's going to speak. And, you know, it, well, whatever's given that hour, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. And here I am. It's my time to, to for a trial. Nothing happens. Okay, the Bible is fake. People are going to formulate these conclusions. Okay, the Bible is fake. I'll serve, I serve my five years in jail. Also, it's illegal to be a Christian. I'll serve my two years in, Christ, in, in, in jail. I might even have a sentence. You know, I'm alive for two weeks and then I'm going to have my head chopped off. Bible prophecy, beheadings in the last days, Christians. And people, okay, I'm done with Jesus. I'm done because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit would speak for me. 
These are things that are going to be exposed in the last days. These theories of men, it it doesn't fit. It doesn't. It's it's not that it just doesn't fit the scriptures, and that's a big deal. But at the same time, there's no effectuation, and if there's no effectuation of God's promise, that happens for a reason. That happened. You know, the Bible says, "Okay, is anybody sick?" You know, brother brother James, is anybody sick? Okay, you know, go to your elders. They will lay hands on you, and they will pray. So a person says, okay, you know, baby girl's sick. Okay, baby girl, let's go to church. Baby girl, hey, you know, pastor, hey, elder, you know, baby girl's baby girl's not feeling well. Can you pray for her? And exactly like the Bible says, okay, the elder's going to pray. Nothing happens. But the Bible says that baby girl's going to be okay, and, but nothing happened. Why is it that the Bible says, is anybody sick? Go to your elders. And why is it that a person does exactly that? The elders lay hand, elder prays. Why is it that nothing happens? You see, is the problem with God? No. Is the problem with the Bible? No. Is the problem with prayer? No. So what's left? The elder, you, and baby girl. That's the problem. Okay, so what do you mean that's the problem? Okay. Elder, wrong formula. Why are you submitting to that guy? Overseer, wrong formula. Why are you submitting to that guy? You see, problem's not problem's not the Lord. Problem's not the Bible. Problem's not prayer. What's left? Very important to understand what the Word of God teaches. And these are things, they're, they're going to be exposed big time in the last days. And there are other, many other, it is also written that make the route of safety very narrow, very narrow. You see? And so when we account for the it is also written, we start to see, wait a second, the prophesied apostasy, the falling away, wow, it's going to be like, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be like big time falling away. It's already happening. But you have non-believers, Satanists, you know, mocking the Christians. Oh, you Christians, you say pray, 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 and nothing happens, nothing happens. Therefore, your God is fake. Therefore, the Bible is fake. And you have Christians who are being seduced and they're believing and they're saying, oh, you know what? I do pray and nothing happens. Therefore, they're right. Therefore, these mockers are right. Okay, I'm done with God. I'm done with Jesus. No more church for me. You see? And, you know, to say no more church, you know, that's... I don't want to suggest that, you know, no more church. But, you know, at the same time, you know, if there's a, a false church, false doctrine, hey, don't do that. You know, if you're in a fellowship where the formula is wrong, hey, jump ship. Jump ship. These are places that are not safe. You see? Look what Jesus says here in verse 12. Now brother will betray brother to death. And a father his child. And children will rise up against parents. And cause them to be put to death. And these are things that we've seen throughout history. But it's happening today. Even still. And it's amping up and it's getting, even in Western cultures, so-called civilized society, so-called the progressive society, it's getting worse. Children coming against parents, 
laws being passed where children can do things to their bodies without parents being being told parents without parents being aware and if the parents find out and come against it they arrest the parents it's happening today in western society progressive culture but we look at christians today in iran in north korea and, you know, to be a Christian, it's a straight-up death sentence. You know, you have to be a secret creator for Christians and our, our brothers and sisters today in Iran and North Korea. Listen, you have to be a secret Christian because biological family, family according to Adam, the biological family, what's happening is they'll turn you in. They'll turn you into the authorities. And sometimes it's the biological family that will hunt you down and kill you. You see? And at the same time, in Western cultures, you know, you see churches, they're like social club, you know, a nice little 15 minute sermon, you know, don't want to get people bored, don't want people to fall asleep. So a nice little 15 minute sermon and okay, 15 minute sermon. Okay, it's done. We'll sing a little bit. Okay. And it'll be the rock star. We'll have the, the worship leader. He comes and speaks with his rock star voice. He's got his, you know, dumb highlights in his hair. Wearing his, you know, rock star pants and everything. And it's like, you know, they do the smoke screen, the laser light show. And then, okay, that's done. Okay, now we can talk about sports and business and politics and finances and stocks and, you know, TV shows and movies. Nice little social club. And the whole time, believers should have been trained, equipped, taught, and prepared for the times in which we live. You see? And Jesus says here in verse 13, and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Hated by all for my name's sake. And this is something you'll feel it and you'll know it. And it's based on a person's proximity, proximity to the Lord, to Jesus. I mean, like straight up Episcopals, Episcopals, modern day Episcopals today, 2023 AD, they can look at verse 13. And so Episcopal can say, okay, verse 13, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And the Episcopal can think, well, wait, wait a second. Nobody hates me. You know, what could this verse mean? Nobody hates me. The Bible says here in verse 13, you know, I will be hated by all, but you know, as an Episcopal, nobody hates me. What could this mean? The same applies to Lutherans, Methodists, seeker-friendly, emergent. Churches that are worldly and carnal, they can read verse 13 and they don't understand because, hey, you know, nobody hates me. I'm Episcopal, you know, I love everybody. Oh, I'm Lutheran, you know, everybody loves me. You know, I, I love everybody, everybody loves me and okay. But it's a, a worldly brand of love. When the Bible teaches us what love is, who is love, what love is and how to love, that's night and day. You see? The Lutheran, Methodist, Episcopal, emergent, seeker-friendly, they're not hated by anybody. The world is completely fine with them. And they're completely fine with the world. Something that we read about in, you know, John's writings. But the closer a person gets to Jesus, the biblical Jesus, whose word is above his name, as proximity becomes closer and closer and closer to the biblical Jesus, not one of the many fake Christs, the Bible warns about those, but the real Jesus, the closer a person becomes and gets to the real Jesus, abiding in him, something happens, something happens. 
you'll find yourself to be alone. And if not alone, in the presence of very few. And then you'll find yourself to be hated. You'll find yourself to be hated, even among Christians. And verse 13 is effectuated. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. You see? Because of your intimacy with the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus, the word which became flesh, him, your intimacy with him, you'll start to notice like, wow, you know what? The world doesn't like me, you know. My friends doesn't, if my friends don't like me, I go to church, they don't like me. I go, I want to hang out with this guy. He doesn't want to hang out with me. I want to hang out with this lady. She doesn't want to hang out with this boy, this girl. You know, nobody wants to hang out. You're like a pariah. You see? And what does Jesus say in verse 13? You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. That's the walk of a believer. We endure not just five months, not just five years, not just five decades. No, to our last dying breath, we endure. Remember, we rely on the strength of the Lord, not our own strength. The strength of the Lord. I mean, you know, the, the Summer Olympics, when you watch the Summer Olympics, you know, the track and field events, you know, you look at the sprinters. Those are the big guys and the big gals. You know, they got the big legs, you know, the big thighs, muscles everywhere because they require these muscles to push very hard. But it's only for a short distance, a very short distance. That's what happens when people rely on their own strength. You can see a distance traveled. You can see, you know, in, in, in Christians relying on own strength, one's own strength. You can see like, wow, you know, this person, you know, started out well. Five months ago, I remember when this guy became a Christian. Five months ago, I remember when this gal became a Christian. Then five years down the road, like, whoa, you know, this guy's, you know, back to the crack pipe. Well, this, this, this lady's doing her crystals again. You see? Then at the onset, it's like, wow, this seems good. This seems good. Five months deep. Wow, it seems good. One year deep. Wow, it seems good. Two years deep. Seems good. Five years later, crystals, chakras, Buddha, Ouija board, sex, drugs, whiskey, crack, all kinds of different things. The long run, no endurance. No endurance. But then, you know, you look at the Summer Olympics. You see the runners who go the distance. They're not the big guys. You weren't, you're not going to see the big muscles on those guys. You see the little people, little legs, little arms, and they're not as muscular. They have muscles, but their muscles are finely tuned for their goals because their bodies are trained to go the long haul. The long haul. You know, the sprinter, if, if, if the sprinter were to join in that run, no, they're going to get tired, they're going to get cramped, and they're going to pass out. They can't make it because they have a strength. But they can't endure for the long haul. But the distance runner, no, the distance runner just keeps going on nonstop, running, 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 running. Their bodies are trained to go the distance. Their bodies are trained to endure. And that's the believer. That's the believer. Now, we do have a strength, but it's not ours. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's from the Lord. 
you and me together, enduring to the very end. And Jesus says, such a believer will be saved, not might be saved. It's not a setup job like, you know, the, the, the false teachers, how they describe with Saul. You know, when you look at uh, the false teachers and they say, well, you know, uh, to account for first Kings and to, or to account for first Samuel and, you know, what's happening with Saul, you know, they, that, that God has his permissive will and God has his uh, efficacious will and God has his permissive will and his perfect will. And so you see Saul and, you know, since he's predestined for a fault, they formulate these theories that have no base in scripture. It's not a setup job. Remember, we stress this a lot in our study in 1 Samuel, but if you're listening for the first time or if you listen to our New Testament studies, listen, go and listen. Purpose in your heart to go and listen to the study called the marathon. The marathon, very important to understand. Because when you hear, when you have that study and you listen to the marathon and we cite Old Testament and New Testament examples, what happens is you get a clear picture of how the Lord works. It starts to fit. You start to see, wow, what the Lord did with Pharaoh. Wow, what the Lord does with Saul. Wow, what the Lord does with Esau. And you start to see, understand, like, wow, you know, with, with an understanding of how the Lord works, his nature and character, all these pieces start to fall into place. And you start to understand like, oh my goodness, you know, that pastor over there told me that, you know, uh, 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 God, you know, uh, predestined this guy to ruin, that it was a setup job for this guy, that it was a setup job for this lady. But when you understand the marathon, that you understand that within the confines of choice, people can react and behave in a certain manner. You see? And how the Lord in his love and mercy and grace, how he's relentless to a lost and dying generation. You see? And so Jesus says that whoever endures, Jesus says such a person will be saved. You see, we see effectuation. Remember, God is reactionary. And in verse 14, so when you see, in verse 14, Mark 13, verse 14, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Now remember, the disciples asked, according, you know, accounting for Matthew as well, the disciples asked, you know, tell us, what, 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 what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus goes on to answer this question posed to him by the disciples, by the disciples, not the religious leaders, not the establishment, not the scribes, not the Pharisees, and not the Sadducees. Because what's happening today, there are very popular beliefs, very pop popular, ultra popular. They've wrongly created a separation. They say, well, we don't have to worry about things because you know what? We're not going to be here. We're going to be raptured out of here. And then they say, well, these verses, they pertain to Israel. Now, listen, these people are gravely mistaken, gravely mistaken. And their pastors and teachers do not understand the scriptures. And, you know, not to, not to relitigate anything, but, you know, if you're presently a believer in the pre-tribulation rapture, if that's you, you're listening, and you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, let me tell you something. I love you, but you're gravely mistaken. You're gravely mistaken. That's very dangerous. That's a very dangerous theory. Very dangerous. Not the good dangerous. That's a bad, bad dangerous. You know, that's a bad dangerous theory. 
if you presently believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. Listen, go to thewayunderground.com and go to the prophecy area and listen to the studies on the rapture. Listen to the studies on the resurrection. If you presently believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, you're wrong. You're in very grave danger and I love you. I don't say this to hurt you. It's because it's out of love that we say these things. The Bible does not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. And this begs a very serious question. A very serious question. Why do pastors and teachers, why do they teach it? Why do they teach it? And that's precisely the point. Why? Why? Why do they? There's various answers. Some are okay. But the majority, not okay. Some are wicked. The answers can be very terrifying. Some pastors say, even say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. It's based on false doctrine and false theory. You see? Go and listen to our studies on the rapture. It's going to help you. It's going to help you understand the times ahead. And so verse 14, we see for the pre-tribulation rapture people, people, verse 14, it becomes impossible. Verse 14 is impossible. If you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, verse 14 is impossible because at the abomination of desolation, which happens in the middle of the 70th week of Daniel, the church won't even be here. The church won't even be here. There won't be anything to see. And Jesus in verse 14 to his followers, to his disciples, he says, when you see, you see, the pre-tribulation rapture, it makes this impossible. And this is one of many, but it makes this impossible. People say, oh, wait, we're not going to see this because we're going to be raptured out of here. So we're going to see this. We're not going to see this. And therefore, it pertains to Israel. You see, they make these theories based on another theory. But anytime theory is based on another theory, listen, every single one of those theories must align perfectly to the word of God. And with the pre-tribulation rapture, it fails at that. You see? People say, oh, we're not going to see this because we're going to be raptured out of here. So therefore, it pertains to Israel. Wrong. Wrong. So what are we to do? We have a theory that says you won't see because you're going to be raptured out of here. And the, and the biblical Jesus, whose word is above his name, says you're going to see it. So you have a theory that says you won't see. And then you have Jesus in the Bible, the biblical Jesus, the word became flesh, whose word is above his name. Son of God, at the right hand of God. And he says, you will see. So just, just let's, let's put that in perspective. You know, Jesus, you have, you know, in him, all things were made in him, by him, through him. At the right hand of the most high, son of the most high. And he says, you're going to see this. But then you have seminaries. Bible colleges, universities, pastors, teachers, and they say, you're not going to see this. Okay, so what do we do? What do we do? Do we adhere to 
a widely held theory taught by the pastors, teachers, seminaries, so-called divinity schools and universities? Or do we adhere to the biblical Jesus? And, you know, one would think the choice is obvious, but look around. Look around. Surprisingly, with an obvious choice, many people choose wrongly. And then there are, you know, to top it off, there are people who say, well, it's not a salvation issue. So it's, it's, it's not essential. It's not essential. First, everything in the word is essential. Second, it absolutely is a salvation issue because what's happening today, you have Christians today that are willing to take, you know, whatever form of a mark, you know, whatever form that comes in, whatever form that, what you know, government imposed, whatever form, you know, they're willing to take it on account of the church not yet being raptured and the mentality that says, well, if we're still here, you know, what people think is the mark of the beast isn't really the mark of the beast because we're still here. So it's okay to take. And this is a mentality that is based on a theory. But does the theory align with the word of God? And the answer is no. The theory of the pre-tribulation rapture fails to align with the word of God. And this officially, officially, and for other reasons too, but it officially makes the rapture interpretation a salvation issue. You see, and to top it off again, you know, there are pastors today that say it's okay to take the mark of the beast. And they base it on false theories, false doctrine. It's absolutely a salvation issue. And there are many more reasons, but this is a biggie. And so here in verse 14, Jesus says, when you see, when you see, he's speaking to the disciples. When you see the abomination of desolation. And don't forget, Paul, in, you know, in the Thessalonian letters, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the church of both Jew and Gentile. Very important to understand. See, there are improbabilities, and not just improbabilities, but impossibilities with certain theories. And so when we see the abomination of desolation, verse 14, standing where it ought, where it ought not, let the reader understand. And this is where we, we, we reflect back on Old Testament blueprints, knowing what is, pros, what, what is proper, knowing what is improper, knowing what is permissible, and knowing what is an abomination. And I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form, but don't forget, the law is still holy. There is a purpose and function to the law. So, accord, you know, at the, you know, the abomination of desolation, you know, accounting for the, it is also written. Again, you know, if you're listening for the first time or you haven't listened to our last day's prophecies, go to thewayunderground.com and go and listen to those studies on last day's prophecy. Very important to understand. At the abomination of desolation, we know that this happens in the middle of the 70th week of Daniel. And look what Jesus says here. You know, you know, stand in the abomination of desolation, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Verse 15. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant. Now, 
It's very true, very true, that God loves offspring, children that are raised right and trained in the ways of righteousness according to the word of God. And babies are beautiful. And pregnancy, it's all beautiful. But for a very specific generation, Jesus says, whoa. Not the good woe, the bad woe, W-O-E. Jesus, he straight up says, whoa. Under very dangerous times, this last generation, closing time, if you will. And Jesus says, Woe, woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. In verse 18, and pray that your flight may not be in the winter. How beautiful it is to know the 70th weeks, the the, the 70 weeks as prophesied with Daniel. 70 weeks are decreed, but at the same time, God can respond to prayer even in what is decreed. And Jesus says in verse 18, Pray that it not be in the winter. And so we see Jesus, he says, you know, flee. He says, don't get your stuff. He says, woe to the pregnant and nursing. And it begs the question, why flee? What's happening? Why flee? Well, we look at verse 19. For in those days there will be tribulation, such as such has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And in this prophecy, Jesus specifically says Judea. But when we account for the it is also written, we know that tribulation will be on a global scale, nations and peoples that have aligned with the Antichrist. But for Judea? Jesus says, flee to the mountains, flee to the mountains. And when you overlay this prophecy with the prophecies in the the major prophets and the minor prophets and following along a, a very specific pathway, you start to see something where it's and you, you start to see not just a high degree of probability, but you start to see how a certain pathway leads to the region of the Jordan leads to the region of Jordan, and this presents several other possibilities, maybe even multiples where people from Judea flee, and, you know, some go in certain regions, they, you know, along the way to Jordan, when you account for the prophecies, largely in the minor prophets, some in the major prophets, you start to see, oh my goodness, this is like a a pathway that the Lord has prepared for such a time as this, for the last day's generation, Kind of a, 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 a little sprawling or a, a very specific area. Very specific. And these are things that will come to pass. Very dangerous times. Very perilous times. It's already begun. But we're going to see as prophecy becomes fulfilled. We're starting to see how the Lord in His Word has given the blueprints. Has given instruction. He has made a way for safety. We look at the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And there are only two. The seven churches, you know, five of them, he says, repent. Two of them have safety. Smyrna and Philadelphia. But only one has next level safety. And the Lord has given very specific blueprints. 
I mean, we look at today's news and when you see like construction in Israel and the West Bank and, you know, certain areas around the West Bank, these are locations of a people that will be in extremely grave danger, extremely grave danger, because this is Judea. When Jesus says, let those be in Judea, when you see the abomination of desolation, let those be in Judea. And you do an overlay of, you know, a Bible map with today's map and you see news today and things in the West Bank, construction efforts in the West Bank. I mean, when you, when you look at like the past intifadas, you know, where Jews were slaughtered, some Jews were literally ripped apart. Torn in pieces, arms ripped off, legs ripped off, you know, heads ripped off. These are geographic regions where people are in grave danger. And yet, the prophecies speak. The prophecies speak, giving ample warning. And a person can say, well, I don't live in Judea, so I'm okay. That's the wrong heart, number one. But understand that tribulation and times of peril... It's for the last day's generation, and it's global. It's on the global scale. Some areas are worse than others, but understand the Antichrist, the Antichrist, the indwelling of Satan. You know, some people say, well, you know, we're not going to be here. We're going to be raptured out of here. No, surprise, pre-tribulation rapture, unbiblical. We're going to be here. Christians, we're going to be here. The revealing of Antichrist. The indwelling of Satan. He hates God. He hates Jesus. Now, what do you think the indwelling of Satan, what do you think he's going to do to God's people of both Jew and Gentile? And we speak of Jews and Christians. You see? And then this points to other prophecies when we account for the it is also written about Satan prevailing. Satan being successful in his agenda. And this begs another question. Why does the Lord allow this to happen? Why does the Lord allow this to happen? Understand that certain things are going to happen, but at the same time, there's a very, 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 very narrow path. That has effectuation of God's promises. Safety. Another reason why God permits things to happen is love. And it sounds strange. Like, how could this be love? How could this be love? We see all this peril and danger and harm and you're telling me it's love. How can it be love? Let us not forget that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Even those who are presently in Satan's grasp, God loves them. As I myself was formerly in Satan's grasp. As you were formerly in Satan's grasp. And God is not willing that any should perish. So yes, love. How can this be love? How can this be love? Well, understand, the Bible teaches us what love is and who is love. And the Bible teaches us how to love.
The question is, are you and me willing to yield to what the word of God says? And let's look at verse 20. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the, he shortened the days. And so we know that the elect are chosen. And this is where Calvinists said they've missed a mistaken interpretation of this. You know, if a guy sees a woman and wants her to be his wife, you know, he doesn't pull up next to her and say, hey, you know, get in the van. I choose you and elect you, you know, get in the van. Let me throw you in the van. You know, you're going to be my wife. No, that doesn't happen. The, the woman, she must also choose him. You see, let's not forget, Judas was also chosen. Judas was also drawn. Look what happened to him. And when we study the scriptures, we know why they turned out that way. You see, we know why. Very important to understand. And Jesus says that the days are going to be so bad, so perilous that no flesh would be saved. But for a certain people, he does shorten the days. And when we overlay this with our study in the Thessalonian letters, remember the evacuation? It all fits perfectly. With the law, with the major prophets, with the minor prophets, it all fits perfectly. And something, and it sounds strange, but something that I absolutely love about the dark times. The dark times is that people, they're curious. Non-believers are curious. Even Satanists are curious. Conversations that I've, I've, I've been involved with and conversations that I've had on a one-to-one level and, you know, like years ago. And people are coming back like, you know, you know, back then, back in the day, I thought you were crazy. I thought you were crazy, but, you know, can you tell me more about the Bible? Satanists. A conversation, you know, several years ago, hey, you're stupid, you're crazy, and they use the expletives and all these things, you're crazy, I'm done. And then all of a sudden, a couple years pass, hey, can you tell me more about the Bible? And I love it so much. Because you start to see, like, oh my goodness, you know. Even the hardest of hearts are getting softer. Unbeknownst to them, you know, until now, if you know, if they're if they're listening, you know, you know who you are, but if you're listening until now, but unbeknownst to you at the time, we also see fulfillment of prophecy. Remember the prophecy? You go and listen to our studies about the last day's prophecy, and remember intrigue? We start to see like, whoa, the fulfillment. And these studies that we have about prophecy, it's for you. It's for you so that you can understand and be ready for the times ahead. And as a little side note, you know, we're going to slow down the frequency of our studies pretty soon. And what we're going to be doing, you know, we're going to start working with pastors on very necessary preparations and, you know, certain like a, um, a, a evangelistic type of uh, things that we're going to be involved with. But we still have these archives, and we're going to maintain these archives for as long as we as long as long as we can. Very important to understand what the Word of God says for you, for me, so that we can understand the blueprints for the perilous times that are just ahead.
So we continue in our study here in verse 21. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or look, he is there. Do not believe it. Do not believe it. Today, look at the people who will quickly flock to what the what they perceive to be Jesus. What they perceive to, oh, surely this is Jesus. Surely this is a God thing. Surely this is revival. And people run to what they perceive as the Christ. And Jesus says, don't believe it. Because biblically, if any one of us, if any one of us were to say, look, here is the Messiah. Look, here is Jesus. All we have to do is hold the Bible up. That's it. Hold the Bible up. Because the word became flesh. And here is Jesus. Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. When we understand formula, the holy recipe, we know what to look for in fellowship. In fellowship with one another. Straight up love feast. And with that is effectuation of God's promises and gifts of the Spirit. This is the real deal. This is like a church like the book of Acts. People say, oh, that, that, that's not for today. That was for 2,000 years ago. We, the, the reason why is because we don't see that today. Well, there's a reason why we don't see that. You see? If you're in a fellowship where the formula is right... I don't care about the size. You're probably going to have a tiny church. If you're in a fellowship and the formula is right, you're probably going to be in a tiny fellowship. Maybe very tiny fellowship. But if that is you, listen, do not leave. Do not leave. But if you're in a fellowship where the formula is wrong, do not stay. Very important. Because remember, the judgment that is coming, it is prophesied that judgment begins in the church. And if the formula is wrong in a fellowship, that's a very dangerous place to be. The bad dangerous. In verse 22, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Notice this wicked goal, the wicked intent to deceive. In the Greek, it's to deceive, to seduce, and to cause to go astray from truth. That's what these, the pseudos, that's what these pseudos do. The pseudo-Christos, the pseudo-prophetes, and the pseudo-Delphos. That's what they do. They're pseudo. They're fake. They're phony. They're imposters. And they're going to come with signs, wonders, miracles, and omens. This, This was Paul's phobia. This was Paul's phobia when Paul says, you know, hey, I'm afraid for you guys. I'm afraid for you. I'm, sca- I'm terrified when, when, when Paul explained his phobia. I'm scared for you. Why, Brother Paul, what's the matter? Why? Why? And Paul says, I know that these tricksters are going to come in. These pseudos are going to come in. And they're going to come in with another Jesus, another, another gospel, and another spirit. And instead of you saying, hey, get out of here. Instead of you saying, hey, walls up, you're out of here. Paul says, you guys, you're going to welcome them. You're going to roll out the red carpet for them. You're going to welcome them in and you're going to put up with them. And that's my phobia. That's what Paul says. That's my phobia. You see? And Paul was blown away. And in Galatia, he was blown away. I'm, I'm blown away, you guys. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from Jesus. 
so soon. It didn't take five years. It didn't take 10 years. Wow, I'm blown away that just happening so soon with you guys. You see? And these fakesters, these, these tricksters, these imposters, you know, they come with their signs, wonders, miracles, and omens. That's how it translates in the Greek here in verse 22. Now, verse 22 doesn't say it's impossible for the elect and chosen to be, to be deceived. It doesn't say that it's impossible for them to be deceived, the elect and chosen. But it does present the possibility. It does present the possibility. If possible, even the elect... And that presents a variable. And that's you and me. The variable is you and me. Will we endure or not? And that presents something else. A choice. You see? Remember our study in the marathon? Go and listen to the study called the marathon. Who is it that will endure? And we look at the correlating prophecies. Let us not forget the correlating prophecies where literally all hell will break loose. All hell will break loose. The demonic realm, they know their time is short. Satan and the demons, they know their time is short. And they're fighting hard. And the attacks, they're intensifying in number and in degree. Now, remember the spiders and the bears? The spiders are coming back. And they're coming back with the grizzlies, remember? The, the demons, little demon leaves. Okay, little demon's gone. Bye-bye, little demon. But the little demon, hey, he's coming back and he's bringing his friends and his friends are worse. You see? Those demons, the heavy hitters, they're coming back. The spiders and the bears. Remember we made reference to this several chapters ago. The spiders are coming back and they're coming with the grizzlies. And then on top of that, there is also coming a time when something else will happen. The Holy Spirit will be lifted. And he who now restrains won't restrain. You see? And there are false theories, false conclusions, and people who say, well, the restrainer, that's the church. Well, the restrainer, that's Michael. Go and listen to our studies on prophecies because we break it down for you. Very important to understand what the Word of God teaches. When the Holy Spirit is lifted, accounting for the it is also written on the landscape of what the last day's world is going to look like. What do you think that world will look like? Those countries, provinces, states, cities, neighborhoods. What do you think they're going to look like? Murder, rape, theft, extortion, idolatry, everything. Hey, it's going to be off the charts. It's going to be off the charts. The fullness of wickedness as it moves further and further up the ladder to the fullness of wickedness. Just like we see the fullness of the Gentiles, there is also a fullness of wickedness. Now, what does Jesus say in verse 23? But take heed. Take heed. He says, take heed. See, I have told you all things beforehand. And so what Jesus does, he begins to explain, you know, the closing, the official closing, the fullness of the Gentile being reached. He says in verse 24, but in those days after that tribulation, after that tribulation, 
after that tribulation, very important to understand what the Word of God says. In those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, much can be said about these particular verses. Much can be said. But we're going to table that for future studies. But we'll say this. The Lord will make himself known. The Lord will make himself known. As in previous times, he will make himself known. But for this particular generation, at this particular junction of verse 25, it's too late. It's too late. The fullness of the Gentiles, too late. Doors closed. The door of mercy, grace, it's closed. And what happens when this door closes? Remember the 10 virgins? The 10 virgins, you look at the passage in Matthew 25, you figure, wow, you know what? The 10 virgins, it's so beautiful because you have 10 virgins who are awaiting the bridegroom. There, okay, you got 10 virgins, okay, that's good. They're awaiting the bridegroom. Okay, that's good. They all have lamps. They all have oil. Okay, everything so good. So far, so good. But then what happens? The bridegroom is coming. And then they leave to, 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 to meet the bridegroom. And then something happens. Something happens. They run out of oil. Well, something happens. They fall asleep. And then they wake up. And hey, five of them, hey. We're out of oil. We're out of oil. Can we borrow some of your oil? Nope. Okay, you know, we're going to go to the store. We're going to go to the store and we're going to go back to the town. We're going to go to the marketplace and we're going to buy some oil. We come back and boom, they come back and it's too late. The bridegroom came and it's too late. The door is closed. On the outside where the five foolish virgins are and the outside is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Too late. See? To whom is given, much more is required. Sometimes I have these conversations with non-believers like, whoa, this is, this is terrifying. And yeah, in the flesh, there is ample reason to be terrified. I mean, you know, even in the spirit, when a person is, you know, a baby believer, there is ample reason to be terrified. It's going to be scary times. And these are things that we're building up to. And don't forget, there's going to be like a little trick. Someone is going to enter peaceably. And the peace is going to be fake. It's going to be a false peace. And people will love and adore whoever this is that emerges on the world scene. People are going to love him and adore him. Because he's going to usher in a time of peace. But it's fake peace. It is false peace. And is it a trick of Satan? And it will be given to Satan to, for that to happen. It will be allowed him. It is These are things that are written, prophesied. And people are going to love this world leader. You say something against that guy, the world, they're going to hate you even more. Why do you say this guy's bad? Look, he's bringing peace. Why do you say he's bad? Well, the Bible says that these are things that the Antichrist is going to do. What? You're a Christian? 
you're a Christian, you probably hate this and that and this and that. You know what? You're intolerable. You know what? We hate you. You know what? We're going to beat you up. And it's get, get, going to get to a point where, you know what? We're going to chop off your head. You don't want to take this market. Look, the government, he's here to help us. The, the Antichrist, who you can't call the Antichrist, this world leader, this man of peace. Look, he's here to help us. And then there's this other world leader. You know, the, the Bible says it's the false prophet. And he wants us to take this mark on our hand, our forehead. Look, it's for it's for the good of the people. Let me see your mark. You don't let me. Oh, you don't have a mark. Why don't you have a mark? Are you one of those Christians? You see. Hey, we're gonna tell the police. You're gonna get arrested. You're gonna go to jail. Very dangerous times. These are things that the Bible says. Blueprints that the Lord has. These are things that are written. The law, Old Testament, major prophets, minor prophets, epistles, uh, 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 and the gospels. And there is coming a time, the fullness of the Gentiles, where it's, hey, it's too late. Those doors are closed. And we see here that the stars of heaven in verse 25 will fall and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Verse 26, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And this is like, okay, doors closed. And in verse 27, and then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. Make sure you listen to our study on prophecies. You got to listen. And not to suggest that there was ever a time where it was okay to play games with the Lord, but definitely today, don't play games with the Lord. Let the days of being lukewarm be over. And we're going to have more studies on prophecy, Lord willing, but that's going to be down the road. And Jesus in verse 27 says, He will send His angels and gather together His elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. Verse 28, Now learn this, this parable from the fig tree. Now, don't forget the fig tree from several chapters ago. And Jesus speaks again of the fig tree. Now, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch, when its branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So, I mean, you know, in the winter, you know, you look at the tree, no leaves. Okay, you know it's winter. And Jesus says, okay, you see the leaves starting to form? You know the season. And in verse 29, so you also, so you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors, exclamation point. At the doors, it is near. Assuredly, in verse 30, assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. So which generation is it? Which generations? People think that, okay, this is fulfilled in Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes. Oh, this is fulfilled. This is fulfilled. And this is based on a carnal understanding. This carnal understanding, it fails to account for the, it is also written. Remember the, 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 the shifts in the store? You know, the opening shift, the, the disciples? You know, that's the disciples when they become apostles. But the closing shift, those are the ones of the final generation. And there were shifts in between two, you know, 2,000 years, give or take a couple years. But for the final generation, the closing shift, 
The generation that sees these things happening, as is written in verse 29 and in verse 30, our Lord says, that closing generation will by no means pass away. Till some, no, will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Prophetically speaking, this last day's generation, very dangerous times, deadly times even. And we see in verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And I love this so much. I love verse 31 so much because more sure than the earth that we presently stand on is the word of God. And his words will by no means pass away. Verse 32, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Take heed, watch and pray for you do not know when the time is. Now understand, we can know the season, just like verse 28 and 29 says, we can know the season, but the day and hour, the day and hour, presently, it eludes us. It eludes us presently. And in verse 34, it is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Now, when you understand the formula, that holy recipe, let's put the saints aside for a moment and let's just look at the pastors. Look at the plethora of pastors we have today, the plethora of pastors in whom the formula is wrong. I meant we look at Hillsong. We look at Hillsong. What work is this? What work is this? We look at the study Bible guy, Mac. You know, said, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. What By what authority is such a thing said? And pastors who say prophecy is a waste of time. Rick Warren, purpose-driven. Says prophecy is a distraction and prophecy watchers aren't fit for the kingdom of God. That's what he says. Now listen, if these so-called pastors, if they want to be dumb, if they want to be stupid, that's on them. They've made their choice. Now we look at the flock. Now we look at the saints. Now we look at the many who follow them. And we weep. We weep. Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. You see? A seduction. Nevertheless, look what our Lord says here in verse 35. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, verse 36, lest, coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all. Watch! Exclamation point. Watch. Translates in the Greek as, be vigilant. Be vigilant, stay awake, and be watchful. I mean, if a pastor, if, if pastor wants to be dumb, pastor wants to be blind, okay, listen, they made their choice. I mean, it's sad for them, but they made their choice. But don't follow them. You have to make your choice too. Don't follow them. Pastor wants to be dumb. Pastor wants to be stupid. He chooses to be dumb. He chooses to be blind. Okay, he made his choice. It's sad, but he made his choice. 
Then Brother James says, let not many be teachers. Because there's a stricter accounting. Held to a, a give a, a, a stricter account when they stand before the Lord. That's why Brother James says, hey, let not many be teachers. Count the cost. So pastor wants to be dumb, pastor wants to be blind. Hey, he made his choice. But as for you, you cannot follow. Because Jesus says, the blind, when the blind follow the blind, both fall into a ditch. But when the blind wants to be blind, hey, only he's going to fall into the ditch. Oh, but my, my pastor's female. Okay, blind wants to be blind. Okay, she's going to fall into a ditch. But you know what? You're spared because you choose not to follow him. You choose not to follow her because you understand formula, that holy recipe. You cannot follow. And it's very true. Peter says, follow me as I follow Christ. It's very true that Peter says the like, James says the like. But then when you look at the formula, that holy recipe in Paul, in Peter, in Brother James, in little Timmy, in Titus, you start to see, whoa, the formula is right. Timothy watches out for my soul. Paul watches out for my soul. James, Peter, John, they watch out for my soul. Phoebe, she watches out for my soul, but she can't be a pastor because, you know, pastors' coverings always male. We have to understand formula, what the Word of God says. Imagine the, 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 the women in Phoebe's household, the covering of Phoebe as teacher unto female, but then remember when they have this issue that arose in the Corinthian church, what do they do? They go to male covering. That's Paul. Very specific formula. And sometimes a lot of women are excluded from ministry because you have dumb pastors who are blind, who choose to be dumb. And they say, hey, you know, women, you know, you can't serve in this. You can't serve in this. You can't serve in this because you're a woman. And I know females who could run circles around, you know, the most popular pastors. I know women that can run circles around them, but they choose not to. Why? Humility. Formula's got to be right. So beautiful. We have to understand what the Word of God says. At, at any time, we have to understand what the Word of God says, but even more so in these last days. And what was said to the disciples then is said to all and still today, like we see in verse 37. And what I say to you, I say to all. Watch the beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.